This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. In recent nights, I've been trying to set the tone of the show by including some facts about the year or actual date the program was broadcast, just so we could maybe put ourselves in the position of folks who were tuning in to be entertained in the 40s or 50s. What was going on in their lives that influenced them? What outside forces were they dealing with? And are our worries today just as they were back then in the golden age of radio? I hope you find the trivia interesting. I'd like to hear from you if you have a comment or two. Just email me at f.proctor at mzmedia.com. That's f.proctor at mzmedia.com. I'd be delighted to hear from you. A few factoids for you to digest about the year our program tonight was set, 1948. Major news stories include the fact that a very expensive car, Porsche, was founded. Technology advances include long-playing records, Velcro, and the transistor radio. Apartheid begins in South Africa, and in 1948, NASCAR holds its first race for modified stock cars at Daytona Beach, and Israel is declared an independent state. But now let's concentrate on our first show tonight, The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix. Irving Brecker created the radio series for friend Groucho Marx, originally titled The Flotsam Family. The sponsor, however, balked at what would have been essentially a straight head-of-household role for Groucho. So, when Brecker went to the theater and saw William Bendix starring in Hal Roach's The McGarrens from Brooklyn, he stated, Here was a Brooklyn guy, and there was just something about him. I thought, this guy could play it. So I took the Flotsam family script, revised it, made it into a Brooklyn family, took out the flippancies, and made it more uh, meat and potatoes, and I thought of a new title, The Life of Riley. Well, the reworked script cast Bendix as blundering Chester A. Riley, a wing riveter at the fictional Cunningham Aircraft Plant in California. His frequent explanation of indignation, What a revolting development this is! It became one of the famous catchphrases of the 1940s. So let's check in and listen to The Life of Riley. It's new. It's amazing. It's Frel. Pro Shampoo. Yes, Procter & Gamble's new Radiant Cream Shampoo in the handy tube. Prell brings you The Life of Riley. Prell, the shampoo that removes unsightly dandruff in as little as three minutes, leaves hair more radiantly clean, radiantly lovely, presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Chester A. Riley has been happily married now for 18 long years And yet, on one night of each week Riley tears off the bonds of matrimony And becomes a gay, romantic Lothario The darling of beautiful women On that magic night 
Riley might be a boyish Van Johnson, a suave, sophisticated Walter Pigeon, or a dashing Errol Flynn. It all depends on the particular motion picture Riley and Peg happen to see on their weekly visit to the movie. Tonight, our hero emerged from the Bijou Theater, transformed, if only in his own mind, into James Mason. At the moment, Peg Riley and uh, James Mason are sipping their usual after-theater soda. Riley, are you through with that soda yet? Quartz. Then pay the check and let's go home. Quartz. Oh, I wish we had a car instead of walking. These shoes are killing me. Tights. <laughs> what are you mumbling about? Don't try to talk with your mouth full. There's nothing in my mouth, Peg. Don't, don't you get it? Get what? Uh, that, that movie tonight. Well, what about it? Well, look at me. Uh, notice the bushy eyebrows, the hair hanging over my forehead? Look at the shape of my ears and my shining white teeth. What uh, movie star do I remind you of? Lassie. <laughs> now, cut it out, Peg. You know very well Lassie's a girl. <laughs> Be serious. What star do I look like? A human being. Mm, William Bendix. Now, wait a minute. You don't have to insult me. <laughs> All right, I give up. Who do you look like? James Mason? James Mason? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, you think it's funny. Well, if I cracked you over the knuckles with a cane, you wouldn't think it was funny. <laughs> oh, Riley, if you're James Mason, then I'm Jane Russell. Well, don't say that I'm a dead ringer for him. It's just that he's got a certain air about him, and I've got an air about me. Yeah, you sure have. You better stop using that new shaving lotion. <laughs> it's horrible. In the movie, we were the only two people in a whole empty row, and they were standing six deep in the back. I ain't talking about that kind of an air. I'm in a kind of a romantic Savoy fairy. You may not have noticed it, but other women do. Look at that woman over there staring at me, and she's with some man. Hey, Peg, that's Hobart Morris and his wife. Hi there. Riley, why are you waving at him? We hardly know him. What are you talking about, Peg? Our junior and their Marilyn are practically going steady. They're coming over. They're bringing their sodas with them. Oh, hello there, Riley. Oh, hi, Martha. Hi, Martha. Hi, Martha. Hi, Martha. What are you folks doing here? Oh, we just dropped in for a soda after the movie. Yeah. Oh, did you see James Mason, too? Yes, I just love him. He's charming. Quite. <laughs> I beg your pardon? Don't I remind you of uh, anybody, Mrs. Morris? Remind me? Right. Somebody you uh, saw in the movie tonight. Uh, look at me. Oh, Riley. Look at the eyebrows, the shape of my ears, the teeth. Well, who do I remind you of? Somebody you saw tonight. Oh, of course. That wrestler, gorgeous George. <laughs> Not in the newsreel. Oh. You mean James Mason? You see, Peg, she noticed right away. Oh, Riley, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> he, he gets this way after every movie. <laughs> Riley, if you're James Mason, then I'm Jane Russell. <laughs> well, well, I don't see what's so funny. Don't you mind them, Mr. Riley. I think you're like James Mason. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Morris. Oh, don't be so formal, James. <laughs> Call me Adelaide. All right. Oh, I can't figure what you women see in this James Mason and the dialogue they give him. Did you ever hear a man call a woman my heart's delight? <laughs> 
heart's delight. Sounds like an ice cream sundae. Hey, here it is, right on the menu, 35 cents. Now, you just ain't the romantic type, Morris. Women go for pet names. You know what I used to call Peg before we were married, or when we were in love? Oh, Riley, for heaven's sake. Oh, I ain't ashamed. I had a special name for her. Peachy Pie. Oh, what do you know? That's on the menu, too. 25 cents. Well, I think it's very charming. I wouldn't mind being called Peachy Pie. Well, I, I think... I be... think we all better go home. Oh, yes, it's, it's late. Uh, can we drop you off, folks? Oh, swell. Yes. Oh, uh, you girls wait here. We'll get the car and pick you up. Sorry. It's over on the lot. Come on, Riley. Yeah, okay. We... Uh, Riley, yeah. the check. Oh, no, 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 no. Here, let me pick it up. No, no, no. I'll pick it up. No, Riley, I insist on paying. Okay, I'll meet you halfway. I'll pick it up and you pay it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's a nice little car you have here, Morris. Yeah, she runs fine. I've had her a long time, but she stood up pretty well. Yeah, she runs swell. Yeah, but I'm getting a new Nash any day now. Yeah, well, I've been thinking about buying a used car, but you know those used car dealers. Yeah, right? true. In business, it's always better to know the man you're dealing with. You deal with a stranger, and you might possibly run into a crook. Yeah. Now, if I could buy from a crook that I knew, <laughs> would you like to sell this car? Well, I, <clears throat> I might. See, uh, my wife wants two cars, and when I get the new one, I might talk her out of it. Yes, I'll give you a call. Oh, it's well. Say yes, Morris. Don't say anything to my wife. If I buy this, I want to surprise her. Oh, no, not a word. I'm good. Well, well, hop in, lady. You sit in the front, Mrs. Riley. It's warmer. Oh, no, I'll go ahead. I'll sit in the back here with James Mason. Right. <laughs> Tadio, toodaloo, pip-pip, and top hole. <laughs> <laughs> But, Peg, I, I oh, don't... Oh, honest, know. Riley, how could you make such a spectacle of yourself? Peg, what did I do? James Mason. And fluttering your eyelashes at Mrs. Morris. Why, Peg, you're jealous. Jealous? Me? Oh, don't be ridiculous. I'm embarrassed. No, you're, you're, you're jealous, just like Morris was. Oh, now you got Mr. Morris jealous. Well, sure, didn't you notice? He, he couldn't hide it. Couldn't stand his wife looking at a younger man. <laughs> a younger man? <laughs> You're at least three years older than Mr. Morris. Well, yeah, but he aged quicker. I, <laughs> I stayed young for years. Happens all the time. What you call a case of arrested development. You see, physically I'm older, but mentally... Mentally you're still in diapers. <laughs> now, Peg, let's not fight. Right? I'm not fighting, and I'm just annoyed. Naturally, but is it my fault I'm so attractive to women? Well, of all the conceits... But don't you worry, honey. I've only got eyes for you, so cheer up. You're stuck with me for life. <laughs> Fine way to cheer me up. <laughs> oh, come on. Give me a kiss, peachy pie. Oh, I give up. Got it, girl. Remember, though, next time you come out of the movies, be yourself. Okay, okay, I promise. How about that kiss? Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, Peg, how does it feel to be kissed by James Mason? Oh, hi, Junior. Hello, Pop. What's the matter? You having trouble with your homework? I'm not doing homework. I've got to write a letter to Marilyn Morris. Oh, oh, oh romance. No, I, I don't want to write this mush, but there's this other fellow after Marilyn, too, and he writes her these mushy notes, so she makes me do it, too. 
Gee, Pop, what goes on in a woman's mind anyway? Well, don't worry, son. You're young yet. You'll find out about women when you get married. I will? Yeah, sure. Of course, by then it'll be too late. <laughs> I can't write this dopey letter. Well, what about this other kid? Ah, uh, he can have Marilyn. Uh, Junior. Junior, I'm surprised at you. What are you, a quitter? I never acted like that. When me and Sidney Monaghan were both after your mother, where would I be today if I'd have said, oh, I'll let him have her? As far as that goes, where would you be? Uh, uh, sit down and write that letter. I don't know what to say. I'll help you. I'm an expert on this kind of thing. Uh, what's this uh, other kid like? Oh, he's a real jupe. He's got a lot of dough. He's older than me and thinks he can... <laughs> got the angle. Start writing. Okay. Dear Marilyn... No, 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 no. Start off like this. Dearest Peachy Pie. Oh, Oh, no, Pop. Why? What's wrong? Well, a girl had to be a moron to fall for a line like that. <laughs> Junior, how dare you? You're talking about the woman I love. All right. Huh? Well, go on, right. Believe me, Junior, this is the way to start a love letter. Oh, okay. Dearest Peachy Pie. Uh, now say, uh, from the first moment I laid eyes on you, I knowed you was meant for me. Oh, uh, uh, Pop, uh, the grammar's all wrong. Where? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Correct it like this. From the first moment I lied eyes on you, I know you were meant for me. Oh, no, no, Pop. Well, okay, you fix up the grammar any way you want. Now, now say, uh, I cannot offer you money like others, but money isn't everything. Marilyn won't go for that. Oh, sure she will. She's too young to know any better. Now, finish it up and say, I can only offer you a loving heart. Make me the happiest boy in the world. Yours truly, your love slave. I got that. Oh, yeah, but... Fine, but, I'll uh, take it over to Marilyn Morris's house and slip it under her door. Well, can I mail it? No, you don't send this kind of a letter through the mail. You deliver it in person. It's more romantic that way. Oh, no, Pop, I can't. Listen, Junior, if you want to get anywhere with women, you mustn't be shy. Now, when I made up my mind to marry your mother, was I shy? No. I went right up to her house, walked into the parlor, turned the lights down low, put my arms around her and whispered, Darling, lend me two dollars for a marriage license. There's Marilyn's house. Well, 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 go on, ring the bell. Oh, Pop, I, I can't, honestly. All right, then I'll ring. I never saw such a kidney. You've got to learn not to be so scared of... Oh, here's somebody coming. Oh, Pop. Pop, I'm going. Here, you give her the letter. Junior, Junior, come back here. Junior! Yes? Uh, oh, hello, Mr. Riley. Oh, hello, Mrs. Morris. I, I just came over to deliver this here letter. A letter? Yeah. To my own peachy pie. Peachy pie? Mr. Riley, what's the meaning of this? Well, I... Oh, 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 oh you, you think that I... That you... Would... No, you see, this here letter is, is for... the door, Adelaide? Uh, oh, hello, Riley. Well, what brings you here? Well, I... I uh, what's this letter? Uh, to Peachy Pie? Riley! Oh, well, I, I was... Uh, Junior, wait for me! Riley, come back here! <laughs> he must be out of his mind writing me a letter like this. Dearest Peachy Pie... From the first moment I laid eyes on you, I knew you were meant for me. Mother. Just a minute, Marilyn. I cannot offer Mother, you... what on earth are you doing with my mail? It's your mail? Yes, that's Junior's handwriting. Now, please give it to me. <laughs> Here, dear. You're welcome to it. Everybody's always opening my mail. <sighs> 
that the relief? For one dreadful minute there, I thought he... <laughs> I can't run anymore, but I gotta... He may come after me. He's got a car. Out of my way, kid. Hey, Pop, wait, it's me. Junior. So, so here you are. You coward, running away. Well, but, Pop... Don't talk. Let's keep running. <laughs> Pop. Hey, Pop, what are you running for? On account of you. You got me in a jam. You and your love letters. But you told me to write it. You told me to write it. Just because I told you, do you have to do it? Haven't you got a mind of your own? If I told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? No. I'm your father and you'll obey me. <laughs> oh, I'm 12 years old writing love letters. When I was 12 years old, I didn't waste my time writing love letters. I was writing the ABCs. <laughs> what do you think of as girls? Well, I'm ordering you to have nothing to do with girls until you're married. <laughs> If I don't go with girls, how'll I get married? That's your problem. Keep running. <laughs> oh, but, Pop. I don't want to hear no excuses. You stay away from women. I'm telling you this for your own good. Women are the root of all evil. You're too young to go around pulling up roots. Keep running. <laughs> back to the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley, who imagines, as usual, that he is in desperate trouble. Ah, uh, Pop. Who's that? It's only me, Pop. Oh, you scared me. What's the matter? You still worrying about that letter? Oh, I'm in big trouble, son. I should never have run away like that. Junior, your father is a big dope. Oh, no, you're not, Pop. I think you're pretty smart. Now, you just think I'm smart because you're a dope like your father. <laughs> You've got to help me, Junior. Well, sure, Pop. Oh, well, now, 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 go over to the Morris's house and explain about that letter. Oh, no, no, I can't do that, but you've Pop. you've got it, Junior. Oh, I can't. I had a fight with Marilyn today, and I told her off. I- I'm through with her. I'm not going to her house. But, Junior, you don't understand the jam I'm in. Mrs. Morris thinks I wrote that letter, and she thinks I'm in love with her. Now she'll fall in love with me. Oh, no, she's got more sense. <laughs> Uh, that's what they said about your mother, and look what happened to her. Now, you've got to explain to Mrs. Morris. If, 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 Why don't you go? Well, su- suppose her husband is there. Well, then you'll explain to him. You're not afraid of him, are you? Me? Afraid? <laughs> but suppose he won't listen. Make him listen. Well, you start a fight. Then you'll fight him. But I'm a coward. Ha-ha, <laughs> I got you there. <laughs> no, no, you've got to go, Junior. Us men have got to stick together. You, you're just like me, son. We're cut from the same mold. You're just as moldy as I am. <laughs> you gotta help each other. Will you go? No, Pop. I'm just like you. I'm a coward, too. <laughs> what a revolting development this is. Well, go on, Riley. Then what happened? But I ran away, Gillis. You ran? Yeah. Don't. Now they'll think you really wrote that love note. But I... Riley... Maybe you did write it after all. Oh, no, honest. I told you, Junior Maybe was... you can trust me. I'm your friend. I understand how these things happen. I'm a man of the world. A man sees a woman... Gillis, it... you gotta believe me. I'm loyal to my wife. As far as other women are concerned, I'm just like you. Now I know you're guilty. <laughs> Gillis, I swear to you... All the swearing in the world ain't gonna help you when Morris comes after you. Morris? With a gun. 
No, he, he wouldn't do that. Oh, no? What would you do if some low sneak wrote love letters to your wife, tried to steal her away from you, break up your home? What would you do? I'd kill the rat with my bare hands, and he'd deserve it. Any guy who... Wait a minute, no fair, I'm the rat. <laughs> yeah, and Morris knows it. He comes after you with the gun. It's against the law. That's the unwritten law. He aims the gun at you. <laughs> you jump him. There's a struggle. A shot rings out. I'm killed. My troubles are over. No, Morris is killed. Uh, your troubles are just beginning. There you are in your living room with a body. You gotta hide it. In the closet. No. My garage. If they find it, you'll they'll suspect you. Your garage. That's good. Now I'm safe. You think so? <laughs> Some rat squeals for the cops. Who? Me. <laughs> I don't want no bodies cluttering up my garage. The homicide squad comes. They take you to headquarters. They grill you. Till you confess. I won't confess. They make you confess. I won't. They shine a light in your eyes. You're sweating. It's hot. They don't give you nothing to drink. You're dying of thirst. Now will you confess? Water. Water. Confess. No. You done it. No. You loved it, so you killed him. No. You shot him. All right, I shot him. I done it. Turn the light off. I confess. I confess. <laughs> You're going to blame for this. Oh, uh, Adelaide. What is it, Hobart? And uh, have you decided about the car? Oh, yes, dear. We don't really need two cars, so I think you ought to sell the old one. Only... Only what? Must we sell it to Riley? There are enough maniacs driving around the streets of Los Angeles as it is. Mm. Oh, Riley's not so bad. I promised I'd give him first crack at it. I'll give him a call right now. How much are you going to ask? Well, she's old, but she's in pretty good shape. I figure we ought to get a couple of hundred for her. Hello. Oh, hello, Mrs. Riley. Uh, say, is Riley there? Oh. Oh, Riley, I'm glad you're home. There was a phone call for you. Phone call for me? Who, who, who was it? Who was it? Oh, now, don't get excited. It was only Mr. Morris. Oh, Morris. For a minute, I thought it might be... Morris! Riley, come out of that closet. <laughs> what are you doing in the closet? But I, I, I'm looking for my gray pants. You're wearing them. I can never find anything in this house. Oh. What's the matter with you? Never mind me. What did Morris say? Well, he's coming over to see you. When? Now. What for? Did he say what for? Well, he wouldn't tell me. He he acted very mysterious. He said it was a private matter. Oh. And you'd know why. Oh, I know. Oh, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing, Peg. Just remember, no matter what happens, I love you to the end. What? Riley. Will you do me a favor and lie down for a while? I'll talk to you when you make sense. But, Peg, listen, will you? I, I haven't got time for your nonsense. i got to get supper ready. She's right. I'd better lie down. I don't feel so good. Oh, what a mess. He'll be here any minute. That's him. He's here. All right, let him come. Okay, come and get me. I'm ready. You're lying down, but you don't look ready to me. <laughs> Oh, it's you, Digger. No nicknames, please. It's Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. Well, what brings you here, Diggerby? Oh, just a social call. I took the night off. Business is slow. I've got lots of things on the shelf, but they're not moving. Well, you may have a new customer soon. 
Any minute now, a guy's coming here to give me the business. And if he gives me the business, I'll give you the business. Really? Digger, put away that tape measure. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm just an eager beaver. What's the trouble, Riley? Well, it all started on account of James Mason. Who? James Mason, the English actor. You know, top hole. Top hole? Uh, no. Bottom hole. Yes. <laughs> but actually, it's more my junior's fault. Ah, yes. Children can be aggravating. Yesterday, a gang of hoodlums sneaked into my business establishment and plastered signs all over my boxes. Oh, I was furious. Well, why? What did the sign say? Do not open until Christmas. <laughs> I'm in worse trouble. There's a guy who thinks I'm in love with his wife, and he's coming after me, maybe with a gun. Oh, dear me, you must avoid this man. You've got to find a hideaway and lie low, and I'll help you. No, he'll come after me and find me. Not where I'll put you. That's too late. He's here. Oh, quick, the back way. No, I ain't no coward. Frankly, I am. Uh, well, cheerio. I'd better be shoveling off. <laughs> All right, I'm coming. Hello, Riley. I phoned Morris, before. I know why you're here, but let's talk it over first. Let's be reasonable. Of course, I'm not going to hold a gun on you. Well, well, that's a relief. Yes, I talked the whole thing over with my wife. You did? And you can have her. <laughs> you're giving her to me? Well, for three hundred dollars. Three hundred? I don't think that's asking too much. I've had her a long time, but I took good care of her. Of course, anything that's been in the family that long takes a beating. And especially with four kids. But all she really needs is a good paint job. Why, the body's in good shape. You've seen it. I didn't look that close. <laughs> now, look, Riley, I'm not saying she's perfect. Well, on a cold night, she's liable to start wheezing. <laughs> so I just choke her a little and she stops. <laughs> you freeze! Wait a minute, Riley. I don't like your attitude. I'm not trying to palm off a total wreck on you. Ah, oh, you can get plenty of use out of her. You beast! Hey, hey, come here, quick! Are you out of your mind, Riley? What's the matter, Riley? Take a good look at this fiend. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to sell me his wife. Under the table yet. He's mad. He's absolutely mad. Don't try to deny it, Morris. I heard you. I was playing along with you to see how far you'd go. Riley, you big idiot. I, you I... ain't human, Morris. I would never try to get rid of my peg, even if she could use a new paint job. Why, <laughs> for Pete's sake, Riley, will you... When listen... she starts wheezing on a cold night, I don't choke her. I give her a nose drop. Oh. <laughs> will you shut up a minute and listen to me? I came here to sell you my car. My car! Your car... You mean the, the note, Peachy Pie, James Mason, your wife, the old wreck, choked? Why, the whole thing is as clear as day. Peg, Peg, Mrs. Morris, don't want me. I'm still all yours. 
What a revolting development this is. The Riley's will return in just a moment. At the first sign of unsightly dandruff, it's time to use Prell, Procter & Gamble's radiant cream shampoo in the handy tube. For in addition to leaving hair radiantly lovely, Prell leaves hair radiantly clean, too, free of embarrassing dandruff. Yes, in as little as three minutes, Prell removes ugly dandruff flakes. Doctor's examinations proved it. In most cases, even stubborn dandruff was controlled by only two Prell shampoos a week. Using Prell's a pleasure, too, because of that handy tube. No waste, no spill. Try it the very next time you shampoo. For hair that's radiantly lovely, free of unsightly dandruff, get Prell. P-R-E-L-L, Prell Shampoo. Leaves hair radiant, gleaming bright. Not a bit of dandruff is in sight. Comes in a tube, handy too. P-R-E-L-L, Prell Shampoo. Good night, folks. Dr. and Gamble invite you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. The script is by Reuben Ship, Alan Lipscott, and Dick Powell. This is Riley as uh, Paula Winslow. Digger Odell is John Brown. The Life of Riley is produced by Irving Brecker. And remember, for more radiant hair, free of unsightly dandruff, get the shampoo in the tube. P-R-E-L-L. Prell Shampoo. Ken Niles reminding you to listen again next Friday when Procter & Gamble brings you a full hour of entertainment. First, Red Skelton, and then, The Life of Riley. Good night. Stay tuned for Voyage of the Scarlet Queen next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, Master. Position, 112 degrees, 32 minutes east, 21 degrees, 6 minutes north. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks, departed Hong Kong, China, 9 p.m. after breakdown in schedule. Reason for delay, the jewel thieves and the straw-filled dummy. My main purpose when the Scarlet Queen slipped past Stonecutter's Island and into the teeming harbor of Hong Kong was to locate my Chinese boss, Kuji Kang, or at least to get some word of instruction for the charter voyage that had brought me all the way from San Francisco. But three days passed and I had no luck. I combed the city of Victoria from the peak to Broadway on the waterfront, but the Queen idly scraped her fenders on the dock, 
My crew poured their money into bar tills. My chief mate, Gallagher, threatened to sign on any ship that was going anyplace. And I grew more disgusted every minute at being stuck, not knowing where to go or what to do. By the end of the fourth day, I didn't care. I didn't care about anything but relaxing and forgetting. I started with a small bar on the waterfront, and by the time I'd graduated through the British Club, the Hong Kong Club, the Commercial Club, and four out of every five non-club bars I passed getting from place to place, I had almost succeeded in forgetting. I swung into the Emperor Hotel, crossed the lobby peopled by a scattering of stiff-backed crown colonists, and made the doorway to the bar to look for a table. I stopped. She was sitting alone with an untouched drink in front of her. She looked up at me, her face set and cold. Her eyes flashed away for a second and back. Then she smiled, stood up, and came to me. Oh, darling, there you are. I've been waiting so long, I didn't know what to think. Oh? You're so late. We'll have to rush to get dressed in time for dinner. Come on, I have the key to our room. I stopped thinking it was the new Hong Kong approach when she took my arm to swing me back into the lobby. Her nails dug in. And her arm and the body behind it were shaking. The plea in her eyes gave me the rest. She was scared stiff and she needed me. We turned around and walked out into the lobby. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week a complete entry in the log, and every week a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. led me across the lobby without another word, her nails still digging through my coat sleeve, her arms still shaking. When we stopped to buzz for the elevator, I looked back. A very erect, thinly built man was coming out of the bar. His walk was mincing. He stopped by a pillar and looked at us while he put a cigarette in the middle of his mouth with graceful fingers, lit it, and flourished the match delicately to the floor. A powerfully built little five-by-five walked up and joined him. They were still watching us when the elevator took us out of sight. The room was at the front of the building on the third floor. Here. She handed me the key to unlock the door. But when it closed, everything drained out of her. She slumped down on the edge of the bed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so frightened. Now, take it easy. You want to try a drink or something? A glass of water. Sure. Ah, oh, here you are. Thank you. I, I, I can't hold yeah, it. Yeah, I'll hold it for you. Thank you. Yeah. Better? Yes, I think so. Who was your sylph-like little friend downstairs? His name is... Neil Gaynor. The other one, five by five? I don't know what his name is. They really knock you to pieces, don't they? Neil says he's going to kill me. Why? They were going to follow me out of the bar, and I don't know why. I swear I don't know. They want something from me, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what they've done to my husband. Where is your husband? Neil says he's dead. 
He says he's dead and I'm dead. Please. Now, this is no time to cry. You're all right. I've no right to ask you. But could you stay with me? Please. Don't leave me. It's been my fortune to only occasionally see a woman cry as she did. Because she had to. It wasn't an act. It wasn't to gain sympathy. It was a cry of complete, terror-filled desolation. She quit shaking. A long time after that, she got up, went into the bathroom to put some cold water on her face. I'm awfully sorry for everything that's happened. I'm all right now, really. Please, I didn't have any right to ask you, and I don't want you to feel you have to stay here with me any longer. I don't. But you aren't leaving. No. Look, I was on hand when you needed me. You're bargaining? Believe me, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm taking advantage of you because you're in trouble, but if it is that, it's unconscious because I don't work that way. Maybe my world's kind of falling to pieces right now, too, and I need somebody. I'd hate to think that because I've been self-contained for a long time. You aren't going. You could make me go, or you could come with me. Where? Someplace where you could forget being afraid of Neil. Someplace where he wouldn't find us. Oh, we couldn't get out of here without being followed. I've been tailed through cities before. Pack your bags. I'm going to take you someplace. You're going to take me someplace? No one has said that to me for such a long time. It won't take me long to pack. hotel by a rear door. We shouldn't have bothered. There was enough light for me to see Neil Gaynor leaning against the building. When we got into our cab, he got into one parked behind us. We want speed, driver. Turn left at the end of the alley and I'll give you directions from then on. The driver knew what speed meant, but his idea of threading through traffic was based on the theory of the straight line. Modified by the belief that the line would open through the snarl traffic ahead of it if he made enough noise with his horn. We crossed and recrossed the level sections of town with Neil and the other cab trailing in our wake. We paralleled the waterfront, dodged through a maze of warehouses, finally lost him. We climbed halfway up Victoria Peak, took one of the terrace roads to the left, dropped to within a block of sea level, and I finally shouted the driver to a stop in front of a Chinese flat. Right here, Charlie. The year have been many, Sancho. It's time before me. We need a room for the lady, Kimiwi. It is done. Her baggage is outside by the steps. My son will bring it. Follow. Thanks very much, Kim. 
She crossed the room to the single window and opened the shutters to look out over the blinking, restless movement of the harbor. The maze of Kowloon's lights across the bay. And for the first time, she was smiling. Uh, they keep playing that same record over and over again, don't they? Tell me the truth. Could you tell the difference if they weren't? Certainly. I can tell the difference between one with a singer and one without. <laughs> we'll put you right up in my class. Feeling better? Of course I am. Your friend downstairs called you Carney? That's right, Phil. Phil Carney. You must have one too, huh? I don't want to tell you. Give me a phony then. Tell me something. No, no, it's not that I want to hide anything from you. You just won't like it. My last name is Ainley. What Ainley? You won't like it. It's Henrietta. Oh, no. I told you. Oh, it's all right. It's a fine name, but you. Becomes you like a... Like a diving suit would. I told you. Well, it's too late to do anything legal about it. I'll call you Hank. Oh, do you think that's prettier? Hank? Not too feminine, but when you look like you do, they could call you Sam and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> so it's all right, huh? Sure. Everything is. Just for a little while, everything is all right. Don't talk about it if you don't want to. I think I do want to. It's simple enough, I guess. You see, my parents were killed out here during the war. And after it was over, I was all alone. Uh-huh. And I married Lucian Ainley. He was good to me. I don't know what he was mixed up in with Neil. I never asked him about anything. When was the last time you saw him? That was over three weeks ago. You see, our home was in Calcutta, and he, he just left one day and didn't come back. And then I got a cable to meet him here. But when I got here, it wasn't Lucian, it was Neil. And, and I, I just don't know what it all means because the way Neil said it, I I think he killed Lucian. If if I just only Let's knew... Take it easy, Hank. If I knew what he was hey, from... Hey, we're out of the emperor, remember? Yes. We came out here so you could forget being scared. I'm sorry, Phil. Everything is all right. Really, it is. What's the matter, Phil? Everything's a little frightening. What, Phil? You. What happens to me? Come here, Hank. Yes? I just want your face, like this. So I can look at it. What, Phil? I wondered what makes you so beautiful. Your mouth's a little too wide. Your eyes are a little too widely spaced. Your cheekbones... A little too high. They're playing that same record again. Maybe you don't like comparisons, but this is supposed to be a compliment. There's a woman who's very important in my life. Oh? You look like her. Where is she? She's on my ship. Her name is the Scarlet Queen. She's carved from wood, and she spends all her time under the bowsprit from where she keeps a good watch on what she's leading the rest of us into. You look like her. Do you mind? Uh-uh, I think it's wonderful. I think it takes care of everything that wasn't taken care of before. Phil. Phil, wait. All right, I, Phil, I... I wanted to tell you... I was scared again when you said there was a woman. I was jealous. I... I want to tell you what... What's happening to me. That puts you right up in my class. Oh, then it's all right. Oh, 
Phil. <laughs> you and your wooden woman. After I'd got Kim Yui to put me up in a room farther away from the incessant phonograph, I lay awake. Remembering that I'd started out to forget the senseless frustration that had bogged down the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. And that I'd succeeded. Hank and I didn't move out of Kim Yui's building the next day. We spent most of our time watching the street from the window to see if our taxi dash of the night before had really shaken off her persistent friends. Nobody bothered us. Nothing did. Because there didn't seem to be anything else in the world except this dream that had picked us up out of the center of reality. But we couldn't or wouldn't leave. We went out that evening and walked, holding to the darkest streets and holding hands. A light fog had rolled in to blur the lights in the harbor by the time we got back. And the foghorns were calling nervously to one another. The next morning we hired a taxi. It followed the winding picturesque road around to Repulse Bay. We swam in the blue water, lay on the sand in the sun, drank in the hotel bar. It was just before sunset when we got back to Kim Yui's, climbed the stairs, opened the door to find the dream invaded. The room had been ripped to pieces and it was cluttered by the things from her luggage. In the middle of it stood the slight, mincing man from the Emperor lobby, Neil Gaynor, his graceful fingers holding a small Japanese automatic... Ah, Tristan and Isolde, do come in. Neil. Neil, go away. Oh, I'll come to you. Will you really? The door, Captain Connor, close it, if you will. Dear Henrietta, you're actually blowing. What's happened to you? I must know. Please, Neil, give me just two hours. I promise I'll come to you. The power of man, really, the utter effectiveness of him. What has he wrought, Henrietta? Look, Nola, straighten up and say something. I'm losing my temper and I'm going to make you kill me to keep me from getting my fingers around that dimpled throat of yours. Phil, please, please don't, Phil. What Isolde means is that I would put out both your eyes before you took two steps. Bang, bang. I don't see how you stand the noise. My aunt, we brave. All right, my man of action. And knowing your type, I will show you how sweetly my little one speaks. Just the tip of your right ear. <laughs> you control oh. yourself, Henrietta. Turn your head, Captain. See. Just a slow welling of good, healthy blood. Just nick. <laughs> and another one beside the first. Now, my man of action, I hope you feel some respect for my little one. And I will leave my warning unspoken. Sit down, Henrietta. Your man will remain behind you. How much have you told him? About what, Neil? Oh, you're such a young, innocent... Aren't you? How much have you told him? I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. How could I tell him anything? Who are you trying to impress? After all, the captain shouldn't mind if you're only a few hundred thousand pounds sterling outside the law, should you, captain? As long as you're enjoying yourself. I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. How interesting. You mean the disposal of jewels valued at 200,000 pounds was too unimportant to be discussed in your home? Neil... Do you mean my husband? I do indeed, what? and you know it. Lucian Ainley and the brilliant robbery of the Havelian Transport Company. You believe it, or you wouldn't have flown so rapidly to Hong Kong after my cable to I was worried about Lucian. You were worried about the jewels. Where is Lucian? He is dead, oh. my dear. 
And you and your captain will be also, unless you tell me where the jewels are. Neil, I don't know anything about them. Lucia never told me anything. Believe me, I, I don't know. I really... Neil, Neil, what are you doing? Sit, you. If you tell me the same story for 40 minutes, I'll try to believe you. I'd moved two inches closer to the chair while he backed halfway across the room. He had a thin leather belt in one hand and he held his automatic in the other. Just as his arm went back and he was briefly off balance, I dropped to my knees behind the chair, grabbed the legs and threw everything. Chair, rising girl, and my 210 pounds on him all at the same time. I stumbled across Hank in the tangle, sprawled forward into Neil's legs just as his automatic snapped. I got my feet under me, pulled him partly up by his hair on one shoulder, gave him my right knee. I heard his breath leave him. When the pain doubled him up, I hit him just above the chin with my right to my feet, lifted Neil by his clothes. I took him out of the room. I stopped at the head of the stairs. And I tossed him down. Phil. What's Phil. the matter with you? Oh, are you all right? Sure, I'm all right. Hold me, Phil, please. Hold me. Yeah. Did he hurt you? Very much. The devil he didn't. Phil, could we go someplace else? You mean five by five might show up now? Oh, I think so. And we aren't going anyplace else. We'll wait for him. Go get some decent clothes on. Do something with your face. You're a mess. We didn't have to wait long for our next visitor. When I heard his footsteps on the stairs leading to our floor, I hustled Hank into a corner where she'd be out of sight. I waited at the door with Neil's automatic. A funny approach, and for a split second, I had the crazy hunch that it wasn't five by five. The hunch was right, it wasn't. Skip! What the devil happened to you? Gallagher, what are you doing here? Well, I came up to talk to, talk to you. What do you want, Red? I just wanted to talk to you. Don't you think this vacation has gone on long enough? What do you mean? I just want to know if you're going to turn into a Hong Kong playboy or come back to the ship, that's all. I think the least I deserve is the truth, don't you? Yes, Well, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the boys and the crew. After all, they're as much your responsibility as mine, and I'm not... Can you come out here so I can talk to you? Yeah, sure, Red. What? Some dough was delivered to the ship for you and sailing orders from Kang. Did you open them? They were open. The next port's high farm. I was thinking if you want to stick around for a while and come down by land, I could take the queen down. Well, it's none of my business. How'd you find me? Through the police. You're mixed up with some nice hot company this time. I know it, Red. They got their clamps ready for your... your girl. And I'd like to see you get out before they shut. They've had their fingers on every move you've made since you met her. You're in deep enough, Scott. All right, Red. All right, gather the crew. We'll sail at nine tonight. <laughs> Atta boy, Skipper. There are plenty more like her where we're going. Yeah. What? What is it, Phil? Come here, Hank. Sit down. Is this goodbye, Phil? 
You just tell me if it is. What if I told you that Red was taking the ship and that I was going to stay here? Oh, that it'd be bad for you and good for me. And we'd make it somehow. What about that 200,000-pound bundle of jewels? Would it make any difference, Phil? No. Now, what if I told you that the police here in Hong Kong were absolutely sure that you do know where the jewels are? Phil, that's impossible. Unless Neil made a sworn statement out of his suspicion. It's true, Hank. They're ready to take you. I... Listen, if I could draw the police away from you and give you a break... You would... draw the police away from me. You wouldn't take the break? With you drawing the police? What kind of a break would that be with you in danger for no reason at all? Phil, why are you saying all these things? To get to the real way out and to make it sound as simple as it really is. The Scarlet Queen is sailing tonight at nine and you're going with her. Oh, I could go with you? You see how simple it is? Oh, it's with you. That's all I can see. It's the way out, Hank. We'll figure the rest when it comes up, okay? Oh, okay. How can I answer that? How can I answer a question as big as my whole life? Just say sure it's okay and shut up. Better just shut up and come here. Everything's going to be all right now, darling. Isn't it? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. You have to leave a lot of your stuff. That's all right. You can only take one bag. I'll take it down to the ship right now. You're going to leave now? I have to, Hank. Got things to take care of. Oh, yes, yes, I know you do. Yes, and you'll be back when? I'll pick you up at 8.30. Phil. Phil, hurry back. I've gotten so used to you. About three hours, darling. We can handle that, can't we? I don't know. Hold me, Phil. Oh, yeah. Three hours. I don't know if I can get through them or not. I took her one small bag with me when I left. I got down to the waterfront without being followed and took her bag into a dive. Drank my way through the longest three hours of my life. I had to do it this way. I'd asked her if she'd let me draw the police away and she'd refuse, so I had to leave her. I had to do it my way. A quarter after eight, when she was counting the last 15 minutes to the time when we'd be together... I made an anonymous phone call to the Hong Kong police. In a quarter of nine, I staggered drunkenly aboard my ship, carrying in my arms a straw-stuffed dress. At the end of the pier, I saw the police I'd called. I walked a little slower. Then I saw him, the squat figure of five-by-five skulking in the lee of a warehouse. And I knew that in the mist, the object in my arms would pass very well to all of them as Henrietta... Hank Ainley, on her way to Haiphong. We nose slowly out of the fog-blanketed harbor past the invisible Stonecutter's Island and turned south into the steady roll of the South China Sea. 
The wind we picked up outside swirled gray dampness across our decks. Rattled the running rigging. to their stations at the halyards. This foggy departure meant nothing to them. They hadn't known Hank Ainley. The main sheet moved sluggishly up the mast, and the moisture that clung to it gleamed dully in the faint glow of our running lights. men moved like martyrs to a lost cause. And the jibs moved out, then the mizzen, and the Scarlet Queen groped her way into the fog. That's a bad night, Skipper. But not much shipping down this way. I guess we don't have to worry too much about collision. Do you think so? Oh, come on, Skipper. Pull out of it. <laughs> What'd you do, fall in love or something? Shut up! Get out of here, Gallagher. Leave me alone. Uh, hey, Skipper, climb off. What did I do? Nothing, Red. Nothing. Look at you! What's the matter with me? You got us two points off course and the mainsail is starting to flutter. That proves she wasn't good for you. Oh, look. You already got one lady in your life. That scarlet beauty under our power spread. Log entry. The Catch Scarlet Queen. 11.30 p.m. Miles traveled from San Francisco. 11,047. Dense fog. Wind light. Sail reduced because of bad visibility. Ship secured for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, followed by George Burns and Gracie Allen. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.